1: This is the China Sports Insider Podcast. I am Hyke Balian, and I'm with the author of Sporting Superpower, the China Sports Insider, Mark Dryer, Mark, wow, how are you? I feel how your beard looks right now. How did a, I... li- a little bit frazzled,
2: let's just say. This is bullshit. <laughs> that was a great look you just shot me was it daggers no there's there's some laughter in there it's been it's been quite a few days let me tell you I mean I basically have the setup where so I've got one uh one sport playing on the tv another on the laptop another on the phone I'm basically trying to stream um three things at once and then keep across everything else as well uh but uh it's fun this is uh We've been looking forward to this for a while, and uh,
1: it, yeah, it's full on Olympics. It's it it has been full on Olympics, and in my house anyway, it's been full on Eileen Goo. Well, in most people's houses, it seems around the world. I mean, it's crazy.
2: Like we've been talking about this since the show began, and I've been writing about it since before that. Like obviously, we didn't invent Eileen Goo and her story, but like the the amount of attention it, it just got in the last week or so has been unbelievable like it just can't go anywhere without reading commentary about it and and wow is it triggering a lot of people
1: it, yeah absolutely and well just can I can I just tell you how much attention there has been on Gu yes there's been so much attention that even i was asked for comments <laughs> <laughs> About, Come on! I think, no, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't As co-host of <laughs> that's of uh, China's top-rated <laughs> English-language sports podcast, you should be all over the news. I well, you know, I, I guess I'm getting there, one Norwegian paper at a time. So let's start, let's start with this, Mark. Uh, she, okay, she won gold yesterday. Yeah, uh, it's it's Wednesday today, so she won gold yesterday. I tuned in just in time to see her her final jump, and that it was it was an amazing jump.
2: Yeah, I mean. Look, I, I'm going to go give a little bit of context here. As I said, we've been following her for for a while. I didn't really take to Eileen Gu through a lot of last year. Sort of a year ago, when you start to to tune in and think about the Olympics, who are going to be the big stars? Obviously, she was there because you know you got the U.S. China thing. She's she's obviously talented, but it was just you know it was pretty relentless her kind of commercialism. Um, and she's posting about all the different brands and so on. And you know, I I didn't say anything. I was like, look. I'm not going to call her out. She can post what she wants. Um, But I was like, we've seen so many times when athletes kind of get distracted by the dollars and then it kind of goes off the rails. I'm like, she has not even won anything. And then frankly, she's, 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 (laughs) she's performed. Like her World Cup season was unreal. Um, She's barely competed in big air and she turns up in the Olympics and nails it with the final jump. I mean, come on. She's got better chances in her two other events. So first and foremost, as an athlete, she is absolutely on top of her game. So, look, if she wants to do it all and she wants to have 35 endorsements and be a full-time model and play the piano and, and, and speak all these languages and basically, you know, tick all the, all the boxes, well then, hey, she, if anyone can do it, she seems to be handling it pretty well. Now, again, there's a lot more to it than that.
1: And I I wanted to start with the athletic piece of this, because I know we're not going to just talk about the athletic piece of this, because there's so much stuff going around, just just around her and her story, her decision, obviously, to compete for China. And, and just how that's being talked about both here and, and abroad. For example, you called Bruce Arthur's column, the Toronto Star, the best commentary on Gu that you've read so far. Uh, I, I just read it. You know, he, read a, he wrote a really measured piece that acknowledges that Gu obviously has the right to compete for whoever she wants to compete for, but called her out on not answering questions about her citizenship so if we were
2: coming into these Olympics, you know, I was asked so many times, like, what are the things that you're looking at? Well, I mean, one of the key things that, that, that I was looking at was uh, citizenship questions, not just for Eileen Gu, for the hockey players as well. So it was clearly, we knew that she was going to get asked the, uh, these questions. Does she have a U.S. passport? There was that uh, the whole thing where Red Bull had it on the, on the website that she'd renounced and then Wall Street Journal asked and then it's magically disappeared and she's basically skirted around this issue. I kind of feel bad for her and here's why. What is she supposed to say? Like, if she can keep dodging the question and live in that grey um, area, that is the best case scenario for her. I, I totally understand and support journalists asking the questions. If she says she still has her U.S. passport, then people in China are going to be pissed off. Uh, if she says she still has it, then then people in the U.S. are going to be pissed off and and start calling foul and and you know hypocrisy. But if she's if she's basically managed it and worked it to her situation then, you know, there's no legal requirement for her to announce this. So,
1: uh, yeah. I I, I I do understand that. She's sort of in a no-win situation if she uh, answers the question. In a way, she sort of put herself in that situation. Why not just answer the question, you know, get it, get it behind her? I think if she has not renounced her U.S. citizenship, the only people that really should be annoyed with that, I think, are other Chinese who don't have that right and who would sort of question that. But why would Americans care
2: there's quite a lot of narrative where you know she's betraying the country that raised her and and you know and, and how she's a traitor so there's a lot of stuff there as well mark we,
1: last last sunday we just talked to an armenian skater yeah. who was born in canada yeah. trained in canada Compete and and lives in Canada, yeah. But competes for Armenia, and no one gives a shit. You know why though? Well, she's not gonna. She's she's not a favorite. She's not gonna win.
2: Yeah, I mean the spotlight, Starting and now. and it's and it's those two countries, isn't it? It's the US and China right now.
1: It's it's the perfect geopolitical story. It really is. Well, well that's the thing, right? Sorry, sorry to walk talk over you, but she represents uh, this uneasiness right now between yeah. the United States and yeah. and China, yeah. and this is yeah. like she's like the perfect nexus yeah. of this. Not, I don't want to call it a conflict, but this rivalry.
2: So after her event yesterday, it was the first chance that journalists really got to ask the other questions. And they kept saying, you know, she's dodging the question, she's dodging the question. And then she kind of gave, she fired back with a bit of an answer. And I was like, again, I felt on this particular occasion, I haven't always felt this way, but on this particular occasion, I sort of felt, well they keep saying you stop giving us the bland answers and then she fires back with something a bit more forceful and they're like oh she's so petulant i'm I'm like okay let's let's listen to that response
1: you've spoken very eloquently about trying to keep everyone from china and the u.s happy i was wondering how hard is it for you to balance those two things particularly when you get criticism on
0: social media particularly in america for your uh, absolutely um thank you for that question i think that here's the thing I'm not trying to keep anyone happy. I'm an 18-year-old girl out here living my best life. Like, I'm having a great time. You know, it doesn't really matter if other people are happy or not because I feel as though I am doing my best, I'm enjoying the entire process, and I'm using my voice to create as much positive change as I can for the voices who will listen to me in an area that is personal and relevant to myself. So I know that I have a good heart, and I know that... um, my reasons for making the decisions I do are are based on a greater common interest and something that I feel like is for the greater good. And so if other people don't really believe that that's where I'm coming from, then that just reflects that they do not have the empathy to empathize with a good heart, perhaps because they don't share the same kind of morals that I do. And in that sense, I'm not going to waste my time trying to placate people who are one uneducated and two probably are never going to experience the kind of joy and gratitude and just love that i have the great fortune to experience on a daily basis um so yeah if people don't believe me and if people don't like me then that's their loss they're never going to win the olympics so
2: just stepping back for a bit like it's a little bit, you know, it, it's obviously massively idealistic her view. You know, are we are we are we seriously at the point where there's just no hope anymore? I, I, what I mean by that is like, if she can't be a bridge between the U.S. and China, right? She is perfectly bicultural and bilingual, right? Uh, and has and feels at home in both countries. If and she's an amazing athlete and in in a, in an area that is traditionally historically as as you know. Less sensitive as, as possible to get right. If she can't be a bridge between the two na- nations, like can anyone? Well, what's the point? Should we just go? F- it? You know, the,
1: things have got too bad. Bridges are made with mortar. They're made with steel. They're <laughs> made with nails. These are these are these are things that are like you can hold in your hand. That's a long bridge over. I guess a okay, lap. maybe not mortar. I don't know. I don't know how bridges are made. I'm not an engineer. We're from the US to um, China. But, but... <laughs> okay, but the point I'm trying to make is, you you can't build this type of bridge without without just an element of truth and why the fact that she cannot even be honest about her citizenship status is really really concerning to me
2: right right no i, I get that i get that i mean look i i try to look at the positives i try to be an optimist you know i come from a from a sports background and, and so i love the sports stories and like that was a perfect sports story you know mm-hmm. that the final jump um not quite the final jump of the entire competition but her final jump uh, doing what she had to do to go from from third to first and and i also look at the athletes and you know throughout the whole season she is loved by uh people on the u.s freestyle sure. ski team there's sunisa lee the gymnast who's like all over her instagram saying oh, i'm so proud of you like u.s athletes embrace her and and love her like as if she's on the u.s as right? they should as they well well not necessarily as they should because there's a lot of um you know, rivalry, and you could see her as a deserter, you know, she's no longer competing for us. So I think it's significant. But in the sporting realm, that's kind of how she's received. And and particularly in these sports, um, it was a little bit weird because the the French... Um, athlete Tesla Deux was, was, was very upset. And apparently that was because her father died, um, about a year, a year or so ago. So there weren't like celebrations, but generally they're all high-fiving each other. It doesn't really matter who wins in these freestyle and snowboarding competitions so in the sporting realm. It's very simple. It's not complicated. It's only when we leave that sporting realm that the other things kind of seem to get inserted into
1: the conversation. That's right. Yeah. And that's what the Olympics are all about. Though <laughs> Every Olympics, there's going to be lots and lots of stuff around, yeah, because outside of the sport, itself.
2: and we talked about we talked about that last show. I mean, could you could we have had a more political opening ceremony right. than the one <laughs> than yeah, the one that no. we had? So so <laughs> yeah, I look. I realize that it's 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 one of the things that's always fascinated me: the the fact that you can't separate the politics and the sports uh, from from the from the money. Uh, and with Eilingu, it ticks all of those three boxes perfectly. You know, you try to break them down,
1: but they're all interconnected. And if and if the spectacle couldn't get even more bizarre. Of course, in the audience, to see Eileen Gu was no, none other than Peng Shui. Yeah, sitting with her new best friend, uh, IOC president Thomas Bach.
2: I mean, it's just getting ridiculous at this point. You've got Peng Shuai, who's now a retired t- tennis player who never, no one really, to be honest, outside of the tennis world and, and outside of the China sports realm, no one really knew who she was. She's now continually still turning up to all these events. You know that 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 is going forward for Eileen Gu. That's going to be a minefield for her. She was asked a question about Peng Shuai, and she walked straight into kind of government talking points about how you know everything's everything's healthy and happy and all that sort of stuff. She generally comes across as pretty polished, I would say, but that's somewhere where she probably <laughs> needs some work.
1: Can't can't build a bridge on that.
2: <laughs> fair enough <laughs> fair enough but again she probably just thought she was giving a kind of a, a non-answer to a question she, she'd been asked but, but yeah you yeah, can't know everything about everything And but yeah it's, uh, it's a minefield out there I've been asked so many times this week like what are these Chinese American athletes like how can you navigate and I was like well she's kinda of doing her best, but I mean,
1: there the literally is minefield everywhere she turns. So we've read a lot about Aileen Gu in Western media. What is being said about her here in China? I mean she's been
2: universally embraced. Um I think it, it, it obviously helps that she's you know, won gold uh so far. There was one pretty disturbing thing I noticed. Guangdong TV um asked the question of its viewers and they've actually issued an apology already they asked the question who is most attractive uh to male audiences Eileen Gu That's gross. or Chuen Hong Chan. She's the 14-year-old diver who was a star of the Tokyo games uh, for winning gold
1: there Yeah uh not ideal So let's let's move on from Eileen Gu her next competition is on Sunday up in Genting in free ski slope style and then a few days after that it's the free ski halfpipe She's the medal favorite for both events, so I'm sure we'll be talking about her a little bit more as the Olympics. Yeah, uh, but I mean, well, it's been a good start for China. Yeah. So on the men's side, snowboarder Su Yiming, he won silver in slope style. After one of his runs, he yelled out one of the biggest F-bombs I've ever heard on live television. It was was so funny. Um, In his event, uh, Canadian Max Perot won gold, and there was some controversy, some snowboarders had a few issues with the judging. I'm gonna play some audio. Um, this is from the host of a popular snowboarding podcast. It's called The Bomb Hole. Listen to this.
0: All right, all right. I gotta calm down, I'm talking. This judging is a f-ing joke. This is one of the most horrific things I've ever seen in snowboarding. Max Perot, put down a hell of a run, no disrespect. The guy goes off the f-ing jump, grabs his knee. Not his board. Misses his grab, grabs his knee, and wins the f-ing Olympics. Just from a technicality standpoint, that should be like a revert or a f-ing washed out landing. Or a basically a no score on the jump. And he gets a f-ing gold? You f-ing su you, Yu Ming. You f-ing Mark Mick. Red got hosed. This whole thing is a joke. You should all be fired. And most importantly, you did a giant disservice to snowboarding.
2: I mean, what's really interesting for this is that normally when a Chinese athlete is uh, um, seen to be hard done by, it's uh, it's it, The Chinese internet explodes. I, I'm not sure they've even kind of realized because they didn't really know who Sui Ming was. This kid is 17. He's so good. It's amazing. Uh, and like he's he's doesn't obviously come from from the from you know the China state system where many of the other athletes do. So he's like a home. Basically, he just. Got into snowboarding himself, and he's on top of the world. Snowboarders, the snowboarding community, are basically calling out the judges and saying, "Like, what the hell?" Now, in fairness, Max Pro has a ridiculous story. Like, he's just he had twelve rounds of chemotherapy, yeah. uh, eighteen months ago. Like, you couldn't wow. begrudge this guy a gold right. medal, and he put down like some uh, you know some great runs. But technically, if you're going by the book, he missed his grab and he grabbed his knee instead of the board. And so Snowboard is like, what the hell?
1: One of the things you, you pointed out to me is that the criticism isn't necessarily, shouldn't necessarily be towards the judges. It's towards the camera angles.
2: Yeah. So, so there's a really interesting post. The judges can only see what they see, you know, in real time. And then they check the video replays. Now, if the video replays don't show the right angles or they don't show the right angles early enough before they give the scores... You know, there's obviously you slow it down. You see one particular angle. He's clearly like clutching his knee. It's a knee grab. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm not an expert, but that ain't a ball grab. Um, and so obviously everyone can see that. I don't think the judges are, are, you know, deliberately like like fixing the scores. But again, it's a little bit of a of a technicality. And without kind of knowing all the ins and outs, often when it comes to these competitions, you've got new people working on the events because the Olympics is such a big deal uh we had the downhill for example they've never had a world cup race uh, in and before so never had a chance to, to to practice this the camera angles the camera positions had a few black spots oh, right so not ideal um yeah. you know something could have happened huh. it's not a judged sport so it's less important uh, but if you don't know if you're a director who doesn't know like what the the snowboard is gonna what trick they're gonna pull what angle you need to be showing because yeah. of the rotation and because of the grab and all that sort of stuff it's very very technical hmm. Snowboard community, they get pretty passionate about this, as you can see. Yeah. I, I'd actually heard snowboard commentary earlier in the, in the week where they say that the snowboarders themselves hardly ever put the judges on blast and kind of criticize them and call them out for, for, like, making a mistake. Like, it's just not done. And people kind of, you know, are very, very collaborative and, and friendly in that, in that sport. Um, so it's really interesting. And, like... It wasn't a Chinese thing at all. Like the guy on the podcast clip, he doesn't even know Sui Ming's proper name. He's like, he barely knows the guy. So it was like, it was really interesting to see the Chinese athlete effectively get support. But, but from a purely sporting perspective, none of the politics inserted. It's quite rare these days. Speaking of... Controversies in terms of uh, judging and so on. Short track is oh, where. Oh, here we- now we're getting into some of my favorite sports. <laughs> this this was great. This was great. So, um, if you are listening to this from uh, Korea or indeed Hungary, <laughs> oh, you no. probably know what we're talking about. Yeah. But-, but China has won two of its three gold medals in short track and in the um men's 1000 meters so in some of the earlier rounds the koreans got penalized and and didn't advance through to the final they had some strong hopes they're always really good in short track and then in the final itself you've got three chinese and then you've got the two half chinese hungarian brothers in the final five-man final um they're pretty popular in china now one of the brothers one of the hungarian brothers crossed the line in first and got a double penalty, which means a yellow card, which means he, he didn't even register a place in his Olympics. So he celebrated, he thought he'd won, and then they looked at the replay, and of course, different camera angles show very, very different things. So online, you've got, you know, Hungarians up in arms saying like, what the hell it was the Chinese guy who basically pulled him down the finish line, then you've got the other camera angle, which seems to show the opposite thing. To me, it's I understand people's frustration, it's emotional, but it's, that is short track four years ago in korea it got so bad that some of the chinese athletes were like saying well we'll show them in 2022 uh you know what proper judging means and and actually some of the the chinese olympic officials had to kind of calm things down a little bit the isu the the you know the, the governing body for the sport uh, actually posted online one of the decisions showing why it was correct uh, to, to disqualify uh, the Chinese athlete in, in Pyeongchang four years ago. That was unprecedented, but that's how uh, that's how uh, much emotion was being uh, poured out about this. Four years later, it's completely flipped. China's been getting every decision. It doesn't look, look, I mean, sometimes it goes your way, sometimes it doesn't. So these things even out in the wash, but...
1: Um, I, I think so too. Look, it's sports, things happen, and especially in sports, Short track speed skating, it's such an exciting, fast sport. Yeah, people fun. are going down all the time. Like, there was not a single race that I watched where somebody didn't go down. Yeah.
2: And another point I, I heard uh, one of the commentators make, I thought it was really interesting, is that usually on the World Cup circuit, it doesn't ha- it doesn't have quite as many collisions. Hmm. But um, because people are like, well, you know, I'm not going to win this race, so whatever. I'll just take third and then, you know, I'll, I'll see you next week in in a different city in the Olympics you're going into the final corner you've got nothing to lose if you're in 5th and you're desperately trying to get up into third place you just go for it and so you barge your people out of the way and you kind of keep your fingers crossed and so there are more collisions because people are more desperate if you know if you're at risk of not advancing through the rounds like your Olympics is done yeah. so um but again it's fun to watch there's the, there's more plenty more to come so right. if people haven't been watching the short track um,
1: definitely uh, get into that. And uh, snowboard cross actually started today, I think, too. Yeah. It's, it's another one of those sports where I absolutely love. You're, you're just going down the hill with three other people at these fast speeds and it's an actual yeah. race. One, I, of I two,
2: uh, one of China's two Tibetan athletes, actually, on the female side. Just a little uh, interesting footnote there.
1: I don't know if you saw this, but the BBC just reported today that uh, a lot of the athletes were complaining about how cold it is up in Jungjaco. Jiakou. Yeah. Some, in some, some places, like minus 31 degrees when you count the uh the wind chill i've been there at that cold I, honestly and i just couldn't go out
2: i mean I, I had friends and they booked a skiing lesson for their um for their kid who's literally just crying i'm like this is basically child abuse um you know it was like mild frostbite and so i was like yeah just stay inside yeah. But yeah, with the wind chill, it gets cold it's, up there. When Very it's, cold. When
1: there's no wind, it's lovely. I mean, it's beautiful. But it was, when the there wind one is the, there, it's, oh, yeah. There was one
2: of the Scandinavian athletes I think was like shivering and, yeah. and, and kind of in, in a real, you know, they do definitely have Uh, rules where if it's, it's below minus 20, they cancel it. And the temperature I think was minus 13, but with wind chill, it can be significantly worse than that. So I'm unclear whether that was factored in or not.
1: And just as an aside, last year I was in, uh, I was in Yabuli, which is in the Northeast in Heilongjiang province, not far from Harbin. Um, after my third day of skiing, my, uh, my stepdaughter was like, "Why, why is your nose so white? Frostbite. Frostbite.
2: Wow. Moving um, <laughs> on. Hey, let's talk about
1: let's talk about Shogang, the big okay, air was, venue. Good, because the discussion around Shogang to me has been a little bit disappointing. Yesterday, the Daily Mail, for example, had a headline. And I know it's a Daily Mail, but still, this was the headline. The Dystopian Games, Beijing's Olympic big air jump in a disused steel mill steel mill is compared to a hellscape by stunned social media users. Okay. I think a lot of people are seeing this venue where the big air is happening with all these steel, steel mills. It's a very industrial backdrop and it's a little different. And people don't really like it. Well, you got like these nuclear reactor okay. looking cooling towers. Okay, yes. I, I think they're missing the point. I think the entire thing that makes this interesting is that juxtaposition between these free flowing athletes amidst these you know, these relics. It's for the 20th century. It's different. I but, think it's so cool.
2: But, like I've seen so many people react the same way. Honestly, they're, they're just reacting to what they're seeing. Like I've seen it compared to the symptom, the Simpsons, you know, <laughs> spring Springfield set with all the, the cooling towers. What I think is, I think the organizers made a big mistake on it when it comes to this, because it's an absolutely stunning venue. We've talked about this in the past. Like it's our favorite venue of all the Olympic ones, but I think they're right. It does look kind of shitty on TV. Um, It's different, but it does look dystopian. The wide shot, it looks very, very industrial. It's actually in the far west of Beijing with the hills behind. If they had it in the early evening with the setting sun, it looks stunning. And like the reflections of the lights from from the big air uh, on the, the lake, which is right next to it. It's some of the most perfect made-for-TV shots. They have all the competitions in the morning. I think they've really missed a trick. That's interesting. uh, With all the camera angles as well, they've tried to kind of put the cooling towers in there. They didn't think about how this is going to be received. um, Basically, all over the world, people are like, what the hell is going on? Like,
1: is this the end of times or what? (laughs) That's just so weird to me. I mean, I think it's a little different. You can hold a big air competition almost anywhere. In fact, they had it in Atlanta, where they built a temporary venue. This is... Actually, the first world's first uh, permanent big airbag. Yeah, athletes love
2: it. And athletes they love said, it. Because they said,
1: like, it's, it's good. Actually, I was reading about the, the Atlanta one. They're like, yeah. yeah, it's a little bit shaky. Yeah, <laughs> which <just> sounds <laughs> terrifying. And you go down. Yeah, not what you want. No, I mean, I think we can have, we can definitely have a discussion of, like, whether money should be spent on a venue that only like a few people really are going to be using because i'm definitely not going to be using this venue ever well it kind of goes back to the you
2: know where should we have the winter olympic games you know beijing is is cold enough right um, but it doesn't have the snow and so when you have the pan out pan out and basically see everything is brown and all that whether it's the ski hills whether it's here you know from the other point of view is well if we can develop winter sports into other markets i think Mm. there's definitely some some points to be made there um, the sports federations try to push their sports as, as, um, to as many different places as they can. Uh, there are, of course, massive environmental concerns. You know, anyway, probably getting into, uh, into yeah, the conversation we could, there. But, um, into
1: a couple of more stories. The Chinese women's hockey team, unfortunately, they are out of the tournament. Yeah, really tough for them. They were hoping against hope that in the
2: final game last night, after China had already competed uh, um, completed all of their games, that Denmark would beat Sweden in overtime and with the head-to-head rules that would put China through it's not going to happen there was a very faint glimmer of hope I noticed early today that um, the Russian team have had a whole bunch of positive tests so I'm like well if they can't compete does the team that they would play get a buy or does china get a, a route in a back door into the into the quarterfinals so that might be something to watch uh, <laughs> I, was for, I was looking for i was looking for news about
1: i saw i read i read your tweet and i was looking for news about that i couldn't see anything today but yeah that that would be an interesting wrinkle one of the things about the olympic hockey tournaments is it's so
2: compact there's so many games in such a few number of days they can't really reschedule anything which is what the nhl and leagues have done they you know so if there's covid related things COVID, of course, in those locker rooms, it just rips around much, much more quickly than it would in almost any other sport here at the Olympics. So that's a big worry. That's why the NHL and the KHL both had big problems. Uh, but yeah, hopefully no more COVID. The men's tournament gets underway later today. Uh, Team China in, in action on Thursday. So excited, really exciting to see um, how how they might match up against their uh, the opponents. Speaking of Chinese at these Olympics,
1: what, what else are you looking for this week?
2: Okay, this is a little bit nerdy and it's not going to be on too many people's radar, but men's skeleton, just a little top tip here for you. I think there might be a bit of a surprise. So, Geng Wenqiang uh, is is a men's skeleton athlete who won a World Cup race in Europe a couple of months ago. It was a tie for third with a German athlete and a a British guy. This was unprecedented in Chinese uh, skeleton, you know, history. So... Everyone's like, Chinese media were building Gung up as like, he could be a big star. He could be a breakthrough athlete in a new sport for us. He ticks all the boxes. Then suddenly he's out. He was dropped. No information released whatsoever. Two other athletes were picked instead. I was like, what the hell? I was asking some of the coaches, couldn't really get a straight answer. He had COVID towards the end of last year. So it was possibly COVID. Often these things are pretty political, uh, but it was just like announced that he wasn't in the team. The only thing that I got that could have made sense is that the foreign coaches were saying, you know what? He's been outperformed repeatedly in trials by two other athletes. Now, I've been looking closely at the training runs. Guess who's at the top of the times in all the training runs for men's skeleton so far? The two Chinese athletes. It's absolutely unbelievable. Like, they would never be able to compete with the Europeans. But this is the home track advantage that we've talked about.
1: And, and, and they have been training here?
2: Yeah, I mean, so uh, and there was an estimate from, from a coach I saw a, a, a few weeks back that said the Chinese athletes could have had as many as 13 times wow. the number of runs Whoa. that all the other Olympic competitors <laughs> will have had. This is a difficult track. It's a longer track than most, uh, really, really technical, uh, and so some of the athletes have been struggling. So if you're comfortable here holding it together for that extra little distance, it's like a, a minute or so that the, that the runs are a little bit under. Um, it makes it more difficult obviously you know at other venues the chinese are not going to be there now this is training it might not convert into um into medals but uh, that would be stunning if uh, if either of these guys were to get on the podium
1: okay i will definitely be watching for a little that. bit nerdy there sorry is, but, but that's but, okay but, yeah, you're, talking, that's, you're talking to the right person that's um, on my uh, radar <laughs> <laughs> all right Mark, before we go we have to talk about the chinese woman's football team. Outside the Olympics, it's the biggest sports story in China. They already qualified for the Women's World Cup next year in Australia and New Zealand, uh, but they just came back to win the Asian Women's World Cup over South Korea, and it's the ninth time they've won the title. Yeah,
2: 2 nil down, and they won 3-2 with a late, late goal. Um, A lot of people were watching that, I think. um, Saw a lot of posts about that for for social media. Um, So yeah, that's uh, definitely... Definitely a, a, a bright spot uh, for for Chinese soccer. And there haven't been too many so far with the men basically just
1: sucking for a while. Is this the while. biggest international team or this is the most successful international team in, in China?
2: Uh, they're not as good as they used to be. I mean, they, they've fallen away. They, they were pretty disappointing at the Olympics last year, uh, but they've certainly fallen away from when they were in the World Cup final 1999. But hopefully, you know, if, if this kind of helps them turn the corner and get back up there, there's some good players. Wang Shuang, who's who's been playing in Europe as well, she came back to China. She's one of the best players in the world, so... Uh, definitely some potential there you've got to
1: feel more optimistic about the the women than the men for sure well I'm sure we'll be talking a lot more about this as the World Cup approaches by the way did you know that I went to 2019 World Cup matches that was in France I went to see uh, Canada versus the Netherlands in uh, Reims which is in the Champagne region of France and that was really a lot of fun and you don't remember it was a lot of fun because you were drinking all the champagne Uh, we had so much champagne it was great I mean (laughs) when in Rome when in Reims <laughs> um, <laughs> that's that's the show this week. Watch out for our show coming out twice a week during the Olympics. That's it for now. See you soon. Bye bye.